Welcome to Truth and Circumstances, where we apply the truth of God's Word to the difficult situations of real life. I'm Kyle Lamb, and with me is Greg Birdwell, preaching pastor at Providence Bible Fellowship in Westchester, Ohio. All right, well, this is the third part of What's the Deal with Reformed Theology? (laughs) And it's Limited Atonement Edition. Limited Atonement Edition. That's funny. So we, we've already dealt with uh, the first two letters in the acronym, what I, what I think of as an unfortunate acronym, yeah. TULIP. We've dealt with total depravity and unconditional election. We spent two episodes on unconditional election. If you dev- have not heard those, you can get those on the website, truthcircumstances.com. Now we come to Limited Atonement, which mm. um, is possibly one of the more contentious points would uh, would you say that or is is unconditional think, election uh, they all are i waffled on <laughs> no, it i waffled on sure. it for a while you you hear the phrase five point calvinist all the time for a while i would have said i was a four and a half point calvinist sure. because i could see this one going either way yeah um so we'll talk about it but this this issue it pertains to the extent of the atonement what we're asking is, when Christ died on the cross, for whose sins did he atone? Did he atone for all people without exception, or only for the elect, right. those whom the Father foreknew from eternity past? The The traditional Reformed position—we're talking about Reformed theology here— so the traditional Reformed position is that Jesus' sacrifice only atoned for the elect— now, that phrase, limited atonement, we've all discussed this this morning, and you hear people talk about it all the time. We don't like the phrase limited atonement. Why don't we like limited atonement? It seems, yeah, it, it seems to say there's like Christ was limited in like his ability to atone or the uh, right. efficacy. Like like that is as good as it could have gotten. Right, like, right. Um, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that there's nothing deficient in Christ's work on the cross. It's not limited in the sense that it's deficient. Um, I personally use the word particular redemption. I think it's better. Yeah. Um, his atonement was for a particular people. Um, right. You know, you could rephrase limited to say it was for, it was limited in scope. It was yeah. for a limited people. We just think the word your mind would run to. A deficiency. Be, it would be interesting to do a some kind of study to try to figure out did did the word tulip come first and they tried to fit these doctrines into an acronym that would yeah. work or because I I want to use a better word anyway. Yeah. I've heard I've heard uh, bacon used and I need to dig bacon. that up. I've seen that. Yeah. Wait, was was this originally in English? This debate and this discussion. Uh, it was during the Reformation. Okay. But um, I I think no, it would have it would have been. French, probably. So then maybe are... we, whoever translated it, the... Yeah, maybe yeah, so. Not maybe to so. get... We don't want to get in that. Anyway, <laughs> first of all, let's talk about what, what is atonement in general, and then we can kind of maybe back down and, uh, and, and see, consider that question of the extent of the atonement. Now, when I started to ask this question, and I told you I was a four and a half point Calvinist mm-hmm. for, for a long time, mm-hmm. asking this question, what is atonement? When the Bible says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, what does that mean? Answering that question kicked me over to be a five point, mm. and I and I came to hold very uh, closely to particular redemption. What is atonement? Atonement is the satisfaction of God's wrath for sin. 
we looked this word up in, in Hebrew. It includes the idea of causing somebody to be favorably inclined to you by appeasing them. And we know theologically throughout the teaching of the Scriptures, the only way that, that God's wrath is appeased, um, and we see this in the pictures of the Old Testament sacrificial system, the only way that God's wrath is appeased is by the shedding of blood. Mm-hmm. And then Hebrews echoes the same thing. There's, there, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Yeah. So atonement is the appeasement of God, the satisfaction of His wrath for our sin through the shedding of Christ's blood. Jesus takes the punishment for our sin and removes God's wrath from us. It is not the potential satisfaction of God's wrath. So in those Old Testament pictures of atonement, the shedding of animal blood did not provide a potential satisfaction of God's wrath, provided they did something else to activate it in some way. But rather, on the Day of Atonement, the people were made right with God, and He continued to dwell among them. So, also, the New Testament does not speak of Christ's death as potentially atoning. His, his, his atonement is presented as a fact. It mm. actually accomplished something. It did not provide the potential of satisfying God's wrath, provided that we activate that right. work of Christ. A passage that some have used to argue for the other position, which we might call universal atonement, is 1 John 2.2, 2, which reads... He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. A propitiation is, is an atoning sacrifice. We can almost use those words inter- interchangeably. Propitiation, making a propitiation is the same thing as atoning. So among the non-Reformed community, the argument goes from this verse, you see, that he, he atoned not only for us, but for the whole world, all, all people without exception. And they'll tend tend to focus on the word world without thinking about the meaning of the word propitiation. Propitiation can have no other meaning than what we've already discussed. To say that Christ atoned for the sins of all people without exception means he has satisfied the wrath of God for those sins. Mm. So if we want to say that that's for all people without exception, that means all people's sins without exception were actually paid for on the cross, not merely potentially paid for. Right. So we're left then, not only with universal atonement, but universal salvation, which is clearly unbiblical. I mean, it's just so clear in the Bible that not everybody's going to be saved. There, There is no way to say that Christ truly paid for the sins of the unsaved, and they still go to hell for some reason and pay for those same sins eternally. If If the unsaved go to hell and pay for their own sins then Christ could not have fully paid for those same sins on the cross. And, and that actually is, is a better way to use the word limited atonement. He, he, he atoned for these sins, but he, he didn't really accomplish anything right. under that understanding. Some advocates of universal redemption would respond to that by saying, well, pe- people who go to hell suffer not for all of their sins, because Christ paid for those, but they're really paying eternally for the one sin of rejecting Jesus. I would say there's a couple of problems with that, at least. The first is the Bible just doesn't teach that. We, nowhere does it teach that. Right. Second, some people never reject Jesus because they never hear the gospel before they die. So um, then you've got, you have to explain this whole other group of people who still go to hell even though Jesus, Jesus died for them. So it can't be the case that Jesus atoned for all the sins of all individuals without exception because not all are saved. Right. 
I, th I think a better solution would be to um, to think of that word world. So we're going back to that verse again. Uh, he's the yeah. propitiation for the sins of the world. It would be it'd be good to understand that, that that word world is used in a number of ways. And and so John's the one that that word pinned to that verse too. So John uses it and that word in another ways. So looking at both in his gospel and his epistles in ways that cannot mean all people without exception. Right. So, so a few examples, um, John one nineteen. behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we've got John 6.33, for the bread of, I'm sorry, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then John 12.19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Each individual person in the entire existence has just gone has after just him. Has just gone after him, yeah. Uh, again, in John fourteen sixteen through 17, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So, so it makes more sense to understand this particular usage as referring to humanity in general rather than every single individual without exception. So all mm -hmm. kinds of people, we might say. Yeah. Um, at times it's used with special reference to the Gentiles, like Romans 11, verse 12 and 15 are obvious examples of that. Here it likely means Christ atoned not only for us Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. All kinds of people. Again, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. All kinds of people. In the Jews' mind, too, that would be a, a huge, like, they'd be like, what? Absolutely. Not just yeah. us, the Gentiles? That would blow their mind. Because, I mean, you think of the For Old sure. Testament. Again, Gentiles can't even come into the, you know, the sanctuary. They can't, they can't cross these barriers. Yeah. And it seems to represent, no, we're the people of God. These people aren't welcome, in, in a sense. And then mm -hmm. you hear they hear this message, and they're like, whoa. So. Yeah. For sure. Given the meaning of propitiation and atonement, it can't be every person without exception. And, right. and I specifically, I think of another passage in Colossians 2. I don't hear a lot of people go to this passage where Jesus says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but Christ, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us by nailing it to the cross. He took care of the record of debt at the cross, like yeah. took place then. And I always thought, how can you square that with... Oh, he did that for everybody. Yeah. And then we get back to, again, that question of, then then why are they going to hell? What debt are they paying? What what are they being punished for if Christ canceled the record of debt, nailing it to the cross? You're, you, to use that same metaphor, you'd, you'd almost have to say that he, he took that record of debt and put it in a provisional uh, filing cabinet somewhere. Yeah, right. It, it may be necessary later on You've to, to re-condemn you. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that is, those verses, by the way, are uh, Colossians 2, I believe. Yeah, you're in Colossians 2. Yeah, 13, uh, 14. Yeah, you're yeah, right. 15. Um, there are other Scripture references that indicate the particularity of the atonement, um, several in John, several in Romans. John 10, 11 says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And now you might say, that doesn't say that he lays down his life only for the sheep, but John 10 is all about Jesus making a distinction between those who are his and those who are not his. Mm, mm -hmm. So if you read this in context, what he's saying is, I lay down my life for my sheep and not these other people. Right. right. He says to the non-believing Jews in the midst, the reason you don't believe Absolutely. is because you're not among my sheep. Yeah, that's chapter 8, John 8. Uh, John ten fifteen. again, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Romans, we move over to Paul's writings, Romans 8, 32 and 33, he writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now, those two verses are intended to go together, and Paul is tying the atonement to all spiritual blessings and then limits the application of that to the elect. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the elect, and he says it there mm. in Romans 8. Romans 5, 8 reads, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, some might say, well, Paul doesn't say Christ died only for us. However, the near context indicates that Christ dying for us actually accomplished our reconciliation with the Father. Because just two verses later, he writes, For if we were enemies... If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So this goes back to the point earlier that the atonement actually accomplished something. It didn't merely make it a potential. Hmm. And then indicating here, indicating a, a particularity in the saving disposition of Christ, what we find in John seventeen nine, the Lord praying, I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And again, I would say that John is a, is a great book that just through, throughout that book, there's a differentiation between those who belong to Christ and those who don't, and what God does for those who belong to Christ and those who don't. Amen. Practical application. Kyle, wh- why does it matter that we, that we think rightly about this? Yeah, so this particular part of the acronym here, limited atonement, it gives us a right view of the power of Christ and the love of God. So you might, you would say, I'm, I'm not saved because I chose the Lord and availed myself of the, an atonement that he merely made available. I didn't get plugged into this system that, you know, hey, I've got this system. If you get plugged in, I'm going to save you. He set, God set his love on me and accomplished my redemption in particular. He left nothing to chance or my per, poor judgment. And personally, this application was the very first thing that when I kind of crossed the threshold, so to say, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm believing these things now. That's the first thing that struck me is, wow, th- this is a personal love. Like Jesus died for me and I didn't just make the right decisions and get plugged in. I, I felt died for. Like I, yeah. I felt it was like a second conversion almost for me specifically because I was I just felt overwhelmed by God's love that he would save me specifically. And then I was immediately reminded of why me? Like, I, I don't deserve this. It was humbling. Right. And I was just basking in God's love. And I, I was in my basement. I ran upstairs. I freaked my mom out, told her God died for me. And she was like, okay, yeah. I believe. <laughs> I'm like, you don't get it. <laughs> he right. died for me. And then I went back downstairs. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, that, I, I love that story. <laughs> I, in fact, I was going to ask you to tell it if you hadn't already. So praise the Lord for that. Yeah. All right. So we've got some uh, we've got some follow up questions from last time. Before we deal with those, let me say that um, if you have any questions about this doctrine, particular redemption, then just let us know. You can you can message us on Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. email, um, directly on the website, truthandcircumstances.com. And we'll deal with those follow-up questions. We have a few here from last time. The first is this. If a man desires to know about God, but hasn't been drawn, what is this? How do we make sense of this? Somebody desires to know the Lord, but they haven't been drawn. 
I would say if somebody desires to know the Lord and they come to know the Lord, they are drawn. Mm-hmm. This, this, um, this question seems to be, and I, I could be getting this wrong, again, trying to get behind the guts of the TV and yeah. figure out how these things right. all work together. I think we need to focus on the imperatives of Scripture and say the Bible calls us to repent and believe, Mm -hmm. to follow after Christ. What God does or doesn't do to move us in that direction ought not influence the tenacity with which we obey the scriptures that have been put in front of us. Does that make sense? Yeah, Would you you add anything to that? Yeah, I I might ask, you know, what if the man's desires are just so that he can refute? You know, you you would need to ask a lot of follow-up questions. Is he asking because he genuinely wants to know about God and God is drawing? See, we're getting back again to if God is drawing him, he he's going to come to believe uh, yeah. we can't see into so to say the hidden will of God what what his inner workings are going sure. on i think of the the rich young ruler who came to jesus so what must i do to to have eternal life yeah so we might think oh he's a seeker he wants to know the lord well, the lord told him and he rejected it right Good because point. he loved his riches yeah. so the, the, i guess you could say there's different kinds of seeking it, mm-hmm. like you said there's self-centered and there's christ-centered yeah. the holy spirit is going to only enable one of those right right Second question, what do we do with those people mentioned in Matthew 7, 21 and 22, who think they are elect, but Christ says, I never knew you? So this is a reference to that passage in the, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, on, on that day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name mm-hmm. and cast out many demons in your name and do miracles in your name? And he, he'll say, uh, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. So what do we, how, do, how do we understand that? I think I would go back to what I said earlier and just say that we need to focus on what the scriptures call us to, and that passage is not is not intended to say anything about the elect, but is intended to just say, look, on the last day, there's going to be people who weren't truly saved because they don't show the fruit of repentance. Yeah, right, right. Um, the scriptures don't anywhere tell us to find out if we're elect. Yeah. But they call us to repent and and follow Christ. Amen. So um, somebody thinking that they're elect uh, is it's not even something encouraged by the scripture to find out if you're elect. Well follow Christ and and grow in him. Peter calls that making your calling an election sure, mm-hmm. but he's not saying look for the hidden will of God. He's saying he's saying explicitly in second in second Peter one Grow in Christ, and that's going to show you if you're a believer or not, which would resonate with Matthew seven twenty one and 22, yeah. that the fruit of repentance is an indication that you're elect, yeah. Yeah. Not, not whether you think you are or not. Right. Finally, um, why does God give degrees of faith? It seems like there's an economy of faith, poor, middle class, rich. Um, I'm not sure I understand this question. Um, I think they're maybe referring to, and I don't know where the passage is, but each has been given a degree of faith. A measure of faith. Uh, measure of faith. Romans 12, Romans, maybe? Yeah. You're the Bible man. Oh, no, you're, you're a Bible man as well. <laughs> I can always quote the, I'm like, this is somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, I know I've read it somewhere. Somewhere in there. 
Uh, maybe that's what they're thinking. He's given different gifts according to the measure of each one's faith. <laughs> Possibly. The, the, the scriptures encourage us to grow in our faith. Yeah. Jesus chides the disciples for being of little faith. We should say that according to the scriptures, I mean, it, it appears that just a tiny little bit of faith is saving faith. It's mm-hmm. the character of your faith, not the size of it, that mm-hmm. is the conduit through which the blessings of the Lord come to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know what to say other than that. I'm, sure. I think the, the, the those who are saved have been given faith by the Lord, and we're encouraged to grow in faith. And I think, and I may be off on this, but maybe they're thinking through kind of what Paul was re- saying, or, um, and here we go again. I know her, I know the reference, but not well, where it's we'll, at. You'll we'll, tell we'll me. We'll see if I can tell you where it is. Oh, I've already mentioned this verse before where he okay. says, you know, um, I worked harder than the rest, yet not I, but the Lord working in me. It's mm-hmm. like maybe they're getting at the idea of, why is God working harder in him? Because he's working yeah. harder than the rest, and it's but it's God working in him. Why is that? I think, again, maybe all these questions, what we're getting at is uh, we need to just keep going back to, I need to obey, I need to pursue the Lord and stop thinking of why why God's doing things the way he is, maybe, because mm-hmm. we can't. And, and honestly, if you think, look at this and you say, well, I want to have a greater degree of faith, then go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want a greater degree of faith. Will yeah. you grant me a greater faith? Same with those warning passages in Scripture. I don't want to fall away. Well, let that spur you up to say, I'm not going to fall away. I'm going to pursue the Lord. We, sure. we, we ought not then think, well, God, you've got to do it, so here I, I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to give me the faith. He, it, He's calling us to act as he acts. And, yeah. Now she, it, it's possible that this is a question about the gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith. Maybe. I Maybe. don't know. Um, which we, I, I would understand to be like an extraordinary gift that God is going to do something spectacular on a, on a given occasion. Sure. Yeah. And not necessarily somebody who just finds it easy to trust the Lord and everything. Right. Possibly. If you have any other questions, please let us know. We'll be happy to get to those and we want to be as helpful as possible. So Kyle, you got anything else? No, that's all. Until next time. Okay. See you. This has been Truth and Circumstances. You can visit our website at truthandcircumstances.com. If you have any questions you'd like to hear us address on the podcast, you can email those to questions at truthandcircumstances.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and ask your questions there. Truth and Circumstances is a ministry of Providence Bible Fellowship in Westchester, Ohio.